Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. Hello, tech fans, and welcome into episode 180 of the Tech Sideline podcast originating from TSL's high tech studios in the Virginia Tech Corporate Research Center. My computer is just as excited <laughs> as I am because we're back. It's been a couple of weeks since our last show. And here's what we have coming up on today's episode. We're going to discuss news around Virginia Tech athletics, including the Jumpstart program, which centers around the new name, image, and likeness that is coming out around the NCAA. Plus, what a run for Virginia Tech softball all the way to the Super Regionals, taking a game off of the defending national champions, UCLA. We'll talk about a great year for Hokie softball, but we'll spend the majority of our show today talking about the top five rivalries for Virginia Tech. I want you to think about that. And if you're watching on YouTube, drop it in the comment section because we're going to talk about top five biggest rivalries in Virginia Tech history, according to Will and Chris. All that and more coming up on episode 180 of the Tech Sideline podcast that gets started right now. Whether you are watching live or archived on YouTube, listening on the following platforms, Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, Amazon Music, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or on Stitcher, we're so glad you could join us as we record on Tuesday morning, June 8th, our first show in the month of June. Our crew today, as always, to my left, for those watching live, it's an empty chair right now, but we will be joined momentarily by our managing editor, Chris Coleman. Across the way, our founder and general manager, Will Stewart, and behind the scenes, the best podcast producer in the land, Malcolm Stewart, and I'm your podcast host, Evan Hughes. Great to be back. We've got an exciting show planned for today, and you know, Will, there are a lot of times we'll have podcasts and we'll say, oh, we're going too far down a tangent. We'll save that for another show. Now that we're in the summer months, we can do that. And the majority of the show today is going to be centered about top five biggest rivalries in Virginia tech sports. So we finally get to do one of those shows today. If you think you're going to get away without talking about that hunk of glass on the table in front of you, you are wrong. <laughs> so if you're watching on YouTube, you see the 2021 Jim Nance Award trophy sitting on the uh, table and it has been personalized it says presented to evan hughes what's the rest of that say evan as the nation's most outstanding collegiate sports broadcaster it is the heisman trophy of collegiate sports broadcasting folks give me that thing let's get the camera on me here yeah take it hold that all right so look at that it's heavy it's nice it's quality it represents an achievement of four years of work 
you know? And so I remember last year, Evan, when you finished, uh, well, first of all, let, let's back up and give a little bit of, uh, so talk about the Jim Nance award for those. I mean, I know we promote the heck out of it when you want it, but talk about what it is, who it goes to and what the process is. Well, thanks for the kind words. And, um, this would not be possible without you, and Chris and Malcolm and everybody here at TSL. I look at this as a, as a team award because it's taken a team. This is for our sports media analytics program. This is for our school of communication. This is for TSL. It's for our ACC network team at Virginia tech. There's so many people that go into that. And, um, I don't know. I'm excited to, to share this with Virginia tech. Um, so the Jim Nance Award is put on by the Sportscasters Talent Agency of America, and they are a company that um, try and help broadcasters land jobs, and they also try and help broadcasters around the country improve their craft. It's owned by John Chelesnick, who's a former broadcaster who just does tremendous work for broadcasters around the country. And in 2009, they launched the Jim Nance Award, which honors the nation's top collegiate sports broadcaster in the country. So they do a top 20. And then the top six are what they call all Americans, right? And then uh, the winner of the award uh, is number one. And so this past year, the the judges are previous winners of the award, and a lot of them have gone on to great things, including Alex Faust, who's now the voice of the Los Angeles Kings. There's so many others. Josh Appel is doing play-by-play for the NFL on radio. Um, so it's been really unique. And Jim Nance is is he's really involved and cares deeply about his award and uh i don't know i'm i'm it's been two weeks and i'm still kind of i, I still don't know how to Did kind of wrap really my head around. So, yeah. so so to put some context to it um every everyone who uh competes for it submits a reel and how long right. is your reel so that's a great point so you have to submit the reel it has to be at least 15 minutes long wow no more than 20 minutes long okay and so there there are different rules that are set forward for instance for play-by-play if you're going to put play-by-play clips on there it's got to be at least six unedited minutes of play-by-play really? and it cannot be late drama like you know late fourth quarter so you've got to just kind of run of the mill here's what here's yep. how i do it in in the third inning of a five to two game so I, I put baseball on there it was the first inning against florida state gavin cross at home run and then i put a clip on there it's really just finding your best six to seven minute stretch where you right. think it really shows and you know, there's a lot that goes into the, how well do you play off your analyst do you have a couple of moments that can show your excitement level uh your prep and so, you know, it's a lot of work that put in the, I'll be honest, everybody who submits around me, you put in hours and hours and hours of work. By the oh, time and you, and you put in sideline interviews and things like that. So he, Evan keeps saying that it's, it's, uh, it's a TSL award as well. The TSL podcast, there are no TSL podcast clips. There are no podcast type clips in, in the highlight reels that, that, that you guys submit. So I appreciate that, but it's really all you doing play by play and sideline interviews and stuff like that. And well, so uh, I've watched these awards for a couple of years now, and the best, correct me if I'm wrong, the best broadcasting schools in the country are Syracuse, Arizona State. Who else would you put there? Uh, Northwestern, especially on the – So I, I know they're a great journalism school. They're also a good broadcasting They do. School. I mean, I think they're definitely known for their journalism, but the broadcasting is still there. All uh, the SEC schools have great – so I'm telling you, programs. man, you you watch the top 20 and it's Syracuse, Arizona State, Syracuse, Northwestern, Arizona State, Syracuse, you know, and, and then there's Evan Hughes from Virginia Tech finishing second last year and winning the whole thing. So in the interest of context, 
This is a big deal. Bill Roth's sports media and analytics program has been around for, what, five years? Getting ready to enter the sixth year? SMA is a major. We just finished our second year, and our first years of concentration was 2016, I believe. Right, 16, 17, 18, 19, 20. 20. So you're talking five, six, seven years. So to to win the Heisman Trophy of collegiate sports broadcasting is a, is a huge thing for Bill Roth's program. It says you can come here and you, you can succeed. And a lot of the reason you can succeed here is you had a wealth of clips to pick from because you were calling games through the ACC network. You were calling radio. So, you know, you had a, you had a kind of a treasure trove of stuff to pick. So congratulations to you. Uh, that is the only copy of the trophy, correct? That's the only copy, correct. It's great that you don't drink. You won't be throwing it from one boat to another or <laughs> no. or partying with it or no. giving it to your friends. There will be no Tots Rail being put in that. <laughs> uh, no, but uh, no, Will asked me to bring it on, and I appreciate you bringing it up. And um, honestly, I think uh, before we move on, the last thing I just want to say about it is though, because there are so many Hokies who watch this show and listen to this show. And I just, I want Virginia Tech, when people think of Virginia Tech, I don't want it to be just engineering anymore. Right. I want people to know that Virginia Tech is a communication school and it's one of the best. And so I just hope that this award is one step on this trajectory. We're still going way up right now. I just hope this is another step forward that we're taking. You know, it's great that we have a a Nance Award here now at Virginia Tech. And uh, I just, I hope 10, 15, 20 years from now, that just all everyone around the country, but everybody here at Virginia Tech knows like, yes, engineering's fantastic. We've got other great majors, but communication is at the top. So uh, well, very and, proud. And, it, and it's really important for tech to get a, a criti- critical mass of broadcasters out into the industry. You know, so there aren't just a few there. You know, there's Bill and a few other guys and, and women. But it's important that Tech get more people out there. And I think that's what Bill's work. Yeah, we've got a bunch of people in the field right now, too. I mean, for uh, there are so many – for all those ACC Network extra broadcasts that people watch, three-fourths of the production room are all undergraduate students in Virginia yeah. Tech. There are so many Hokies behind the scenes. Heather Lee Claggett works for ESPN, and she's one of their top – I believe she's a producer, and she does a bunch of – big events like Wimbledon and she just did the NCAA lacrosse championship. And so there are a lot of Hokies that are starting to enter the field. I'm telling you five, 10 years. I can think about Nolan Knight down in North Carolina. You've got Bailey angle at Bluefield, Who's such a great pro. I mean, there's just, there's a lot of Hokies that are starting to make their names yeah. and their presence felt in the business. So anyways, this is well, for, uh, this congratulations is for, to you. Thank you. I appreciate that. And Chris Coleman has arrived. So we're going to go ahead and transition to get started. We, we did not quite get to talk about, what you could do right now if you're watching on YouTube, Will, because it's been a couple of weeks. We could really use some likes. You could use some liking and some subscribing we could use. And if you're watching archived. Yes, comment and uh, just say, you know, good show or, you know, comment on the content. We're going to be talking about kind of a hot issue today, uh, Virginia Tech's top rivals. So tell some stories, you know, talk about games that uh, that you went to that mattered to you, uh, whether it was 30 years ago or, or three yeah. years ago. Uh, also, a reminder that the Tech Sideline Podcast is presented by the Southeast Regional Trading Center. You can go to southeastrtc.com today to find out how you can get involved with one of the best wrestling programs in the country, led by Coach Tony Roby with Virginia Tech Wrestling. Again, that's southeastrtc.com. 
There's our managing editor rocking an awesome home shirt every time he wears it. I think, gosh, I've got to buy one of those. It's a great shirt. Chris Coleman, how are you doing today, my I'm friend? I'm doing well. How are you? Doing well. Doing well. All right. So, again, as Will just alluded to, the main part of the podcast today, we're going to be talking about top rivalries for Virginia Tech. And for those watching live on YouTube, we already have a bunch of people chiming in, but Give us your top five, but also, as Will says, if you have any stories, anything you'd like to share about those rivalries, maybe you went to a game, whatever it may be, drop those in the YouTube section, and we'll try and read those as they come along and as we get into that. But we do have a couple of news and notes around Virginia Tech Athletics, and Chris, I'm going to put you on the spot here as you just jump in. I want to talk about the Jumpstart program Mm -hmm. that Virginia Tech launched a couple of weeks ago. Name, image, and likeness with the NCAA. It's something that is new. It's going to allow players and athletes to profit off of themselves. They came out with this really big press release, very detailed. What did you like about the Jumpstart initiative that Virginia Tech is launching? You know, sometimes I think it's important to be first. You certainly don't want to be last, but most of the time it's important to to get it right, whether you're first, second, third, fourth, fifth, whatever. Uh, Virginia Tech wasn't first in their announcement of you know, an NIL initiative. But uh, it took took them about a month longer to announce than some other schools, I think maybe two months after Florida State, one month after Alabama. But Alabama's announcement was only five little small paragraphs that went into no detail about anything at all. And I was impressed with Florida State's announcement when it came out, and Virginia Tech's announcement blew Florida State's out of the water. Mm. So – There was just so much more detail in Tech's announcement than we've seen from any other school, at least as far as I researched, because we got a question about that in the the Q&A on Friday. So this is an area where the athletic department appears to be out on their front foot, I I would say. Um, They they didn't beat other schools to the punch in terms of timing, but they they beat them them to the punch in terms of quality of the announcement itself. now that being said, you know I don't. We can't compare Virginia Tech's program to other schools' programs because I mean we don't know anything about Alabama's program because the the release was only five paragraphs saying, oh yeah, NIL is important, yada yada yada. Here's the name of our program. That's it. Um, Virginia Tech's went into more detail than than others, so we we can't really compare the programs until you know they get up and running and we start to see some results and hear players talk about them and some evidence gathers up and things like that but you know from the outside looking in it seems like uh this is an area where where the the athletic department really put a lot of time and effort into and i think that they did a good job with the amount the announcement and the rollout um real quick will to give a little bit of backstory for those that don't know about the release the final sentence in the release virginia tech can grow your personal brand and is equipped to deliver tremendous results in this area the jumpstart program will provide student athletes with the following Number one, personal branding and brand development. Number two, endorsement and business opportunities. Number three, business formation and entrepreneurship. Number four, financial literacy. Number five, career planning. And number six, capitalizing on name, image, and likeness. So this is new across the country. What are your thoughts on it and what it means for Virginia Tech and the release? Well, I think that covers all the bases. Um, you, you can, for me, I was sitting here listening to Chris talk, and, and certainly he's right about everything, but the, the real proof is going to be in the putting two, three, four, five years down the road. Um, first of all, I think it's a, it's a well-crafted program. Um, they, like I said, they cover all the bases. It sounds complete. 
how well is it staffed? How well is it executed? Those those things will will reveal themselves over time. I also wanted to point out that influencer is heavily involved. Uh, I think uh, tech is leaning on them or, or working with them to carry out the Virginia Tech program. And and if you've never heard of influencer, uh, uh, I, I will admit I haven't read up a lot on influencer. I've just kind of seen them around. And their thing is that they created a platform as it became more and more important. There was so much media being produced, so many pictures and videos featuring student athletes that Influencer created a tool where athletic departments could catalog and tag all this media and uh, you know, pictures and videos for the athletes to then go into the Influencer app. Trey Turner goes in. Trey Turner doesn't have to crawl through Twitter and look for pictures of himself or go over to Tech Sideline and see if there's a picture of himself over there. If he wants to put something new on Instagram, he pulls up the Influencer app, sees if Virginia Tech has loaded and tagged any new pictures of him or any new videos of him, and then he puts it out on Instagram or he puts it out on Snapchat or, or whatever. So Influencer was just a tool that enabled athletes who want to see great pictures and videos of themselves to, to have easy access to that and get it out there. And it just dovetails perfectly into the whole NIL uh, field and effort. It, it's just natural to me that an influencer would be a player in this area. So I'm, I'm, I'm betting that they have – I also smell Brad Worthman here. <laughs> He's good at this stuff, you know, and, and I'm, I'm betting they work closely with influencer and, and that, of course, Virginia Tech's not the only school that influencer is going to help out in this. I, uh, I've already seen this at play in the Premier League, and I don't know if it's influencer or not. But, you know, just for the sake of it, I follow – some of Tottenham's players and within 30 minutes after a game they've tweeted out a statement on the game with a picture of themselves from the game right so they or whoever runs their Twitter account is able to access these photos from the game so they find a really good picture of their self and say oh really good win or tough one today or whatever and post it on Twitter and immediately it's got you know because it's such a worldwide sport they've got 500,000 likes and Right, they've increased their following and blah blah blah, and, and that's the type of stuff this is in, intended to be. So the other thing I wonder, uh, moving forward with this, is will schools publicize the contracts that their athletes sign and the opportunities that their athletes get? Mm -hmm. um, I don't know if the NCAA, you know, the NCAA, the eye roll. <laughs> I don't know if they're going to, you know, like the NCAA at one point wouldn't even let football programs like you remember tech used to have the Ironman competition and they would publicize it and announce the winner. Well, they would publicize every single player in the entire program. They would publicize what they benched, what they squatted, what their push jerk, their 40 time, their vertical jump, everything that was on beaverball.com. And, and then the NCAA is like, Oh, you can't have these comp these, these competitions for these trophies and publicize it. So they, they've been known to, you know, over-regulate things. Mm -hmm. So I, I don't know what the NCAA is going to have to say about the the uh, publicizing of, of NIL events as they occur. Just imagine a press release from Alabama that details the, the top 20 contracts signed by their football players. So-and-so mm -hmm. -so signed with this car dealership to promote uh, car sales, and, and he makes a million dollars a year. Well, Are you going to start seeing press releases like uh, that? Yeah, I don't know. Well, there's going to be – what are the financial limits of it, too? Is, right. is, is there a cap on, on what players can earn and things like that? I have no idea. So we don't know 
Like, we know the basics, but we don't actually know the full set of rules or how they'll be implemented. Well, to, to my knowledge, the NCAA hasn't said squat about this, right? Well, you're, you're right. Um, and and, and right, as of right now, it's not even legal in some states anyway. Right. Some states right. are like, so So Virginia Tech has rolled this out, but they still have to get the state of Virginia to pass a law saying it's okay to use the program that you've already come up with. Which is... Mm. Right. So, which will happen by, by the time the season rolls around, I'm sure. Um, I mean, they're, they're, if you read the notes from the BOV meeting yesterday, all the athletic directors and big wigs at all the major schools in the state have drafted a letter to the governor. Okay. And so, yeah, it, that, that I'd be surprised if that didn't happen. Um, yeah, I don't know. There, there's still a whole lot we don't understand. There's still a whole lot that, you know, we won't even understand until well after the fact, I, I don't think. We just don't know any of the numbers. Now, I know – I know, like, that each school will have preliminary numbers, and they'll, they'll use these for recruiting. It's like, oh, and Tech used this as part of their release. Christian Darasaw, after Virginia Virginia Tech started using Influencer last year, he grew his Twitter following by something like 30 or 40%. I forget the exact right. number. Um, and you're going to see plenty of examples like that. But as far as making an announcement of how much athletes make through endorsement deals and yeah, things like that, I mean, that's – I don't know that that would, would that even be legal. To, yeah, to, I have no idea. So, right. um, uh, lost my train of thought here. Uh, so you can have a great program, and yet there might just not be that many opportunities. I would imagine that a school like like Alabama football, I think they're going to be crawling with NIL opportunities. But you take something like Appalachian State down in Boone, North Carolina. What what opportunities are there really? And it's, don't at me, y'all. I don't, you know, I, I love Appalachian State. Got a lot of respect for their program, but they're in a small, out of the way place. Will that matter? Will Will some schools that are in metropolitan locations and don't really have great sports histories suddenly start to benefit from this because the NIL opportunities are there? Boston College, what kind of NIL opportunities it, are going to be there? Is Virginia Tech going to have to go all the way to Virginia Beach, Northern Virginia, and Richmond to get NIL opportunities for, for their, their players? Yeah. Yeah. You bring up Christian Derisaw. You know who's somebody who could replace him on the offensive line next year? Bob Schick. As we transition <laughs> to our next topic here on the Tech Sideline <laughs> Podcast. Sorry, I had to, I saw I saw an opportunity and I took it there. Transitioning, talking about the NIL. Again, we're going to talk about the top five rivalries in just a little bit. But a little bit of football news, and I want to get Will and Chris's thoughts on uh, the newest offensive lineman for Virginia Tech, three-star offensive tackle Bob Schick. Um, he is a six foot six, two hundred and ninety-two pound offensive tackle who comes to Virginia Tech from the JUCO route. Currently playing at Snow College in Utah. They're currently eight zero with number two in the country. They the lost in the JUCO national title game, unfortunately, this past to Hutchinson, like a two-point game, really good game. And Hutchinson's a really good JUCO, if I remember. Yeah, so yeah, that's right. Um, I believe they were maybe featured on uh, Last Chance U, but I can't remember that off Probably. the top of my head. But uh, so Schick was originally a member of the 2018 recruiting class. However, he went on a mission after high school, enrolled at Snow College in 2020. So, Chris, this is his first time at the Power Five level. You've seen his tape. Uh, what do you like about Bob Schick, and can he contribute this year for Virginia? He looks Tech? like a good prospect. He's a he's a married true freshman who's old enough to buy a beer and still has five years left five years to play four so he could redshirt this year and then still play four after that yeah so uh 
I, I, I will say, I think he's a very good prospect. Um, I, but you see this a lot. Um, and obviously you saw it at BYU a lot when Bronco Mendenhall was there. You know, these kids don't get recruited out of high school because everybody knows they're going to go on a mission. And then you kind of forget about them, and most of them end up at BYU. Yeah. I, I don't I don't know I don't know why he didn't end up at BYU, to be honest with you. But, I mean, he looks the part. His film is very good. Uh, you know, he missed two years of strength and conditioning, so – it's a little bit of a concern, but you know he's got a grown man's body. Uh, he'll have to catch up a little bit in the weight room because I don't know how active he was in the weight room while while he was away on his mission. But uh, I think all the tools are there. Um, he, he's going to be a mature player. He could potentially contribute early. Um, we'll see. You know he he he's going to be the same year as Parker Clements. Although the big difference is you know Parker Clements is going to be nineteen and. Bob Schick's going to be 21 or, or whatever. So, uh, or if not 21, then almost 21. Um, but, yeah, I think that's a that's sort of like a – that's definitely a Vance Vice pickup. <laughs> yeah. Can you say that again real quick? He's, he's a 21-year-old freshman. 21-year-old married true freshman <laughs> who's old enough to buy a beer. There haven't been very many of those. No. That's really well said, Chris. Way to put it in perspective there. Uh, you know, well, there are a couple of departures on the offensive line, and you look at what Virginia Tech's done in the offseason. They go out and get uh, names escape me, but the transfer from Maryland. Um, Johnny Jordan. There. Johnny Jordan. Johnny Jordan. They get Bob Schick. It feels like Vance Vice and company trying to kind of restructure that offensive line for this upcoming season. Yeah, and it's uh, this. This is the modern era of college athletics, where where you lose guys to transfer and guys transfer in. You know, it's got a little bit of a free agency feel to it, and and we'll get to that uh, in a few minutes when we talk about another uh, transfer. This one out. Uh, so it's uh, you know, I, th- I think he's done a good job putting something together, and and we'll see how all the pieces fit together. Uh, but you know, like what I say. Speaking of the transfer portal some news around Virginia Tech athletics right now, and that is one of the best athletes Virginia Tech has in any sport, Ja'Cory Patterson of Virginia Tech track and field, is transferring to the University of Florida. He has had a terrific career at Virginia Tech. He has set numerous of not just Virginia Tech records, but, I mean, so many other big-time records. Well, I know you follow not only him, but track and field very closely. What was your reaction to hearing that he's leaving Virginia Tech and transferring to the University of Florida? Uh, very surprised. I was shocked, and, and I don't use terms like that very often. Um, he, he's a guy who's been able to achieve a lot here, and uh, we did. I, I just didn't see it coming. We did an article on him last year. Forget yeah. who, I forget whether it was Corey or somebody else who did who did an article on him. I need to go back and read it. But yeah, I don't think nobody saw it coming. It, 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 he's one of those guys that it, it, I don't follow track and field as closely as, as you seem to indicate that I do, but he's a guy that it seemed like every time he got mentioned, he was setting a new PR or a new school record. And you find yourself thinking, how much faster can this guy get? So certainly his, his career on the track wasn't stalling. I was totally surprised by it. And then you, you drill a little deeper, and he's, he's still competing. There's a 4x400 relay team for Virginia Tech that's going to to compete in nationals. Is he going to be on that? Because 
I, I read on our boards yesterday, and I didn't go check to confirm this, but Virginia Tech released a list of eleven players who were going to national. Eleven athletes. Eleven athletes, and he wasn't okay listed. But I don't. I didn't go check that. I just read it on our boards. Well, so I, I, so I did. I I went back and I looked at when when this news came out. I went back and I pulled up the most recent HokieSports.com article I could find about which athletes had qualified for nationals. I mean, out, you're going to have to look this out up in for Oregon. Us. And, and it was a bunch of individual athletes and a 4x400 relay team, and Ja'Cory was mentioned in that article. Um, so I'm under the impression that he's supposed to run for Tech this coming weekend. Maybe, Sorry, maybe. we should have done our research before we did this podcast. Yes, well, he I was supposed to. Well, I did do my research. He, well, he was supposed to, but uh, I guess we are media. You know, we should actually at, ask Virginia Tech these things before well, we go yeah, on. Well, yeah, that's true. That's true. <laughs> uh, but we're not trained. Hey, media, I just so got back on vacation like yesterday. That's true. I was a zombie yesterday <laughs> just kind of trying um, to catch up on email. But, all, yeah, I, I, don't, I, don't, I don't know what in what form Virginia Tech said, here's the 11 we're taking. I don't know if that was a, – I'm looking at the news release that Virginia Tech put out on May 26th. Uh, well, yeah, he announced his transfer in June, so you can ignore that. Then, uh, uh, but on the twenty, I'm, I'm, I'm it guessing says, it's on Twitter. Uh, all right. So, so anyways, regardless, so, though. So while Chris feverishly researches on his phone, um, this this surprised me and and bothered and disappointed me more than you know a lot of the the football and basketball transfers that you hear about. I think we've kind of become. Uh, I uh, can't find the the word I'm looking for. Almost deadened to the constant flow in and out of basketball and football players. Some of them surprise us and disappoint us. Like when Joe Bamisol said he was transferring, that was disappointing. But I just I did not see this coming. So I got to thinking about things, and I and I I read some of the discussion on our on our message board, and it was, um, uh, how, yeah, he's not going. Okay, for Virginia Tech, their their Twitter, they did a. Uh, on the track and field Twitter, they said 11 Hokies have made the trip to Eugene for the NSA championships, and then each each athlete got his own separate tweet and a thread. Now, what day was that that they released that? Uh, yesterday. Okay, see, I um, I missed it yesterday. I read the article. Yesterday from... at 6 o'clock. Hmm. Um, so. But, Evan, if you look at that May 26 yep. article, he was he – was... He was listed. Right, so he was not – so he took the coaching staff by surprise with his transfer. Huh. Is, is what I'm saying. Wow. It, it, but so. Because he never even made an announcement, oh, I'm entering the transfer portal. So it begs the question, you couldn't just wait another week and compete with the right. 4 by 400 Virginia Tech team out in Oregon? And I, I don't know anything about his situation. Yeah, you know, but it, it just seems like, it just, does, it just doesn't seem like the right thing to do on his part. Yeah. But now that being said, if I'm Virginia Tech, and you've got a guy who's going to transfer to another school and doesn't even finish the season, I don't think I'd take him either, to be honest. No, 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 no. Yeah. No, I wouldn't. I'd yeah. be like, oh, okay. Okay, well, stay uh, home if you don't bags. want to run for us. Yeah. yeah. Uh, you know, and, and this isn't meant to disparage Ja'Cory because we don't know the story. Right. You know, and he's been an exemplary student athlete so far. He's not been a problem. He's done great things here. So it just, it surprised me. So it led to this whole discussion about, uh, you know, and, and I remember one of our message board posters said, you know, those of us that, that went to Virginia Tech and graduated from Virginia Tech, we have a love for the school. And I just don't think it's that way with a lot of the student athletes. They it's, just, yeah. you know, being a Hokie isn't as, isn't as important to them as being an athlete and achieving athlete things for themselves. I think our former players, like we've got a large group of players from the mid to late 90s who come back for all the reunions yeah. and who love it. Uh, now, at the same time, they grew up in an era where they weren't being told from the time they were 14 years old that 
oh, it's okay to transfer, yeah. right? Yeah. Uh, if you're not starting by your second year, you should transfer, right? They weren't. They didn't grow up in an era where you were told that. So to me, this current group of players, you know, the even the one even the ones who do finish. Like ten years from now, are they going to be coming back and going to tech games? So you know, and 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 I'm I'm going to venture into old guy yelling at clouds <laughs> territory here, but but really no, this is not an, uh, a guy complaining. This is a it's, this is a legit observation I have. I've I've got three kids who are twenty two, almost twenty one, and nineteen, and I've watched them grow up with smartphones, with social media. And there is an emphasis among young people these days. There's a there's very much focus on self and not on being a part of something larger. It is the nature of social media and the quest for likes and followers and all of that, that that younger people are very self focused. It's not as important to them to be the part of something larger. And, I, and like when I was a kid, I rooted for the Miami Dolphins. And, and I lived and died with the Miami Dolphins. And, and I grew up in Virginia. Like, what's that all about? Why, why am I living and dying with a pro football team, you know, hundreds and hundreds of miles away? But that's just kind of the way things were back then. You picked your squad and, and you identified with them. And I just don't think that's a, a, a thing among young people like it used to be. I don't, you know, you see it all the time. A football player will announce he's transferring. And all kinds of other Virginia Tech football players will pile in and, and say, and like good luck, it. bro. Go get that bag. You go, man. You know, and 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 as a, as a fan, you're like, what are you doing? Your teammate just said he's leaving, and you're cheering him on. So it's right. this weird dynamic that that people of a certain age, forty plus, don't understand. And as a fan, you don't want to see one player congratulating another for 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 transferring. If 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 you're a fan of a certain age from a certain background and things like that, it just rubs you the wrong way. Right? Hey, thanks for leaving and making us worse. Yeah. <laughs> right. <laughs> what the heck? <laughs> so so it kind of it it brings all of these things to light. And and to go back to the Miami Dolphins example, when I was a kid, um, you know, free agency wasn't a thing when I was a young kid. It kind of came into being in like the 70s. Mm -hmm. I was born in 1964. So, so like I said, I was a big Dolphins fan, and I was a big uh, Larry Zonka fan. You heard of him, right, Evan? I have heard of Larry Zonka, yes. yes. So Larry Zonka wore number 39, and when I went to play Little League football in fifth grade, they just randomly gave me the number 39. I thought my head was going to explode. I was wearing Larry Zonka's number. And then within two years, Larry Zonka, Jim Kick, and I believe it was, uh, it was Paul Warfield, uh, just – freaking quit the nfl and went to play for the wfl they as a group what signed is, the world football league you never heard of them right i heard of usfl which well, just got announced it's coming back by the way yeah which, which, which came later the wfl was this short-lived uh, uh pro football league that that sucked a few players out of the nfl but but mainly it took like like uh, uh, uh if i remember correctly it was zonka jim kick and and paul warfield and, and I was just crushed that, like, what? You're Miami Dolphins and you can leave? That that kind of mindset just doesn't exist anymore. I cried when Del Murphy got traded to the Phillies. I know. When I was like seven. I, you know, Christopher just chimed in and asked, um, you know, I'm part of the same generation and get my thoughts. I Real quick, Christopher, I was just thinking about it. I think there are a couple of things. I'm going to take a 10,000-foot perspective real quick. So, for me and Malcolm and everyone in college, we grew up with fantasy football. 
right. fantasy sports where you are drafting individual players. And I think there are a lot of people who are not fans of teams that are my age True. that love following a certain player. And then I'm, I just thought about this, for instance. Think about the NBA. There is no loyalty in the NBA. LeBron James has played for Cleveland, Miami, back to Cleveland. He's now with the Lakers. It's all about these super teams and it's 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 all about who's got the cap space to form a super team, right? Right. right. It's, uh, it's about the best players playing with them. They all want to play with the best players. Right. And that's the NBA. Right. Now, the NFL is a little bit different in the way everything works. When you're drafted, you're there for at least five years. Mm-hmm. It's different. But I just think that you know the the NBA is one of the biggest sports, if not, I think ratings-wise, it's our, it might be the biggest sport in the world. And I think that these athletes in the NBA have shown everyone else around the country that it's about you getting as much money as possible and trying to win as many championships and, and, as and, possible. And quite frankly, and I'm, I'm friends with some former football players, and all of them will tell me their favorite sport's basketball. These guys, football's the, most of them, it's their second favorite sport. They, they grew up, basketball's their first love, but most of them, you know, they're not good enough to play basketball at, at the highest level, so they play football instead. But uh, you know, one of my best friends, you know, he came, he was uh, he signed with Tech in 1993, and he would always tell you he was like, uh, you know, basketball was my favorite sport, and I guess still is his favorite sport. Uh, you know, he took a he was the first person to commit to Virginia Tech in the class of 1993, and but he still took an official visit to a North Carolina school. Coach Beamer found out he was down there, found out what hotel he was in, and called his room and said, what are you doing down there visiting whoever it was he was visiting? And he was like, Coach, I just came down to see a basketball game. (laughs) I'm not interested in playing football here, right? Um, So, yeah, I see our players like like every – I mean, you see it right now because the NBA playoffs are going on. I follow some of our players on Twitter. I follow plenty of our former players on Twitter. And they're all tweeting about what's happening in the current playoff game that they're all watching yeah, at the same yeah. time. Right? And you don't even see that during the NFL playoffs. So, yes, these guys are bigger basketball fans than they are football fans. And so, yes, that's the you're exactly right. Evan. That wasn't the that's, point I was trying to make was that they like the you, NBA But you, whatever, you made it well. Uh, you made, I mean, that is the culture of the NBA, which is the sport they follow the most. So it's yeah, but the NBA figured out years ago, back with uh, uh, Larry Bird and Magic Johnson, that if they wanted to be a big sport, that they had to emphasize the individual. That was that was a yeah, but, but, decision to right, emphasize the personality. Right, but, but 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 back then they didn't change teams every every other year yeah. like they do these yeah. days. So Oof. That that's that's a big factor in it, sure. Yeah. Um, but I I just think that it's because the NBA used to be. I mean, you know, Jordan played with the Bulls for his entire career, right? It was kind of a big deal when Rodman even left the the Pistons to go to the. You know, you just didn't yeah. see as much. At all. every even baseball. Think about Garrett Cole, one of the best pitchers in baseball, right? He started his career, I believe, with Pittsburgh. Yep. Then he went to Houston, and now he's on the Yankees, mm-hmm. right? And so. I don't. I just think in professional sports, it's just different than it was twenty years ago about everybody not being with the, you know, the same team. And so, 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 and so, along to to kind of to kind of cap this, there is another point I wanted to make: is that uh, um, I'm not as big a fan of the NFL as I was when I was younger. I was a big Dolphins fan, and then when Marino played for the Dolphins, I remained a big Dolphins fan. And when he quit, you know, when he retired my fandom kind of fell off. 
And for my brother, my brother was a big uh, uh, Baltimore Orioles fan, huge Cal Ripken fan. When Cal Ripken retired, my brother was like, eh. And now he actually roots for the Nats. So there is this, as, as you age, um, you, in particular people of my age group where free agency and a lot of movement wasn't a thing when mm-hmm. we were young, there's this whole jaded, oh, that just ruins it for me. So I'm starting to see some of this discussion of, well, if the athletes don't care about Virginia Tech football and, and they just care about themselves, then I'm going to care about Virginia Tech football less. I, w- I would counter with this. You, you look at free agency wasn't the death of professional sports. The NFL is still very popular despite the player movement. The NBA is still very popular. Major League Baseball is still very popular. These things grow and change and evolve I don't think the transfer portal and the frequent use of it is going to lead to Elaine Stadium 10 or 15 years from now with 20,000 fans in it. I just don't think that's going to happen. If that happens, it'll be because of easier ways to watch the games in HD and the fact that you can see the game better from your couch than you can by actually going to it. Yeah, if, yeah, it's, yeah. It's, uh, it's, so for, I think people are feeling individual things and projecting them upon the college football and college sports uh, world. Uh, P- and people have been saying things like that for years, yet the ratings continue to go up. And, right. Yeah, yeah. I think Chris is right. I think it's more so about, you know, I'm that guy who has four TVs on in March Madness, you know, being able to sit down and, you know, have every TV. I mean, I be, I, the, you know, I didn't not go into a single tech game this past year, and but I was able to watch them all on television and – not once did I have to go to the boards after a home game and be like, so for those guys who were watching the game on TV, tell me about that play in the third quarter where it was pass interference. It kind of looked borderline in the stadium. What did you guys think watching on TV? Yeah. And they'll come back and tell you just like that. Yeah. You know, because they had a better view of it than the people in the stadium. And, and I have said before that when I, when I used to, I worked games from 2012 to 2015, I was in the press box. And the games I hated the most were those early season 2 p.m. games against William & Mary where I had to get to the press box and I would miss being able to watch the noon games. Virginia Tech would crush William & Mary from 2 to 5 p.m. Then I'd have to write it up. I wouldn't get to watch any college football that day because I had to be there watching Virginia Tech destroy William & Mary. So I get it. It's kind of, you're like, man, if I sit home, I can watch a lot of really good football games. Well. This is a really fun discussion, and that's the beautiful thing about, uh, as we talked about before we got here, Chris, the beautiful thing about summer podcasts is we can go on tangents, and we've yeah. got the time to, to have these discussions. Not like we're, we're preparing for an upcoming game. Right? And, and we've talked a lot about, uh, on our last podcast, the West Virginia-Tennessee rivalry. Right. We're going to talk about top five biggest rivalries for Virginia Tech in just a little bit. But before we do that, we're going to take a break and come back in a minute. But I want to spend our, our last kind of recapping what's going on Virginia Tech Athletics since our last pod. we got to talk some Virginia Tech softball because what a ride the yeah. Hokies had. The second best season in program history. One win away from the Women's College World Series. They've only gotten there once. The second full season under Coach Pete DeMore, taking a game off of UCLA in the Super Regionals in Los Angeles, winning the Tempe Regional. Chris, I want to start with you. Keely Rochard, how fun was it to watch her just dominate for a week and a half? Oh, it was awesome. And the only difference between Virginia Tech and UCLA is UCLA had a second Keely Rochard. All right. Megan yeah. Fremo. Yep, yep. Oof. So, so uh, I, it was great. It certainly uh, certainly helped put the program on the map. Now, the big difference between now and what year was it Tech made the College World Series? I think it was 2008. I think it was 2008. Okay. The big difference 
between then and now is I believe Virginia Tech is better positioned to take advantage of the national attention they got. You know, the 2008 World Series appearance for Virginia Tech was sort of like the beating Ohio State in football in 2014. Yeah. A great moment in time, but you couldn't take advantage of it because Frank Beamer was about to retire and everybody knew it and the program had stagnated. So you couldn't take advantage of that from a recruiting standpoint. And I and then Virginia Tech did not take advantage for whatever reason of their appearance in the 2008 College World Series. But now I think they have the coaching staff, the facilities – and everything to take advantage of this run from a recruiting standpoint. So, so I'm excited about this. You know, not only because it's a great, great achievement for the team for Keely Richard and everything, but because I think the program itself is now positioned well to take advantage of of, of their of, the, of that achievement. All right. So I've tasked Chip Grubb with uh, writing an article about uh, softball recruiting. He he put an interesting post on our Olympic Sports Board. He came on and he said. There's a certain uh, publication, I can't remember the name of them, but they released their list of top 40 recruits uh, around the country. And Virginia Tech's got four of the top 40 per this publication coming in. There's a pitcher, last name of Lemley, I think. A couple, couple of utility players, and I can't remember the fourth player. Um, but around the country, there are one or two teams with five of these top 40. One with six, I think. Six, five. Probably Virginia, Virginia Tech with four. The rest of the ACC, in this particular list, the, the rest of the ACC combined all 14 other teams because there are 15 softball teams. All 14 other teams only have four players off this list. Combined. I didn't see Duke on that list. I didn't see Clemson on that list. So Virginia Tech, you know, if you just go by this one anecdotal instance, they've, they've got some good recruits coming in. And so to, I do want to talk about that victory over UCLA yeah. a little bit. Um I having having watched UCLA. Uh, first of all, they've won twelve national championships, one of the most storied programs in the country, if not the most. And man, they were good, but they were not good that day. You could tell they didn't take Virginia Tech seriously, and Virginia Tech came out and punched them in the mouth and guts just rattled UCLA. They're a good fielding team, and UCLA had five errors and some other mental errors that didn't count as errors. Real quick to cut you off, I was about to say, it was five errors in the books. It easily could have been seven or eight. Seven or eight, right. There were some questionable calls that were they hits were, that could have been errors. They were not ready to play, and you could tell they had taken Virginia Tech lightly. And I was just hoping that, you know, having having gotten that first 7-2 to two win, that Tech could scratch one out here or there, but, uh, you know, Megan Foramo kind of put it, put an end to that. And, and so have, I've, I've actually watched a lot of softball through the NCAA tournament. And, and so you find yourself asking, what does Virginia Tech need? Um, they need more pitchers. They, um, I think it was last night I was watching Florida state and Florida state beat Alabama eight to five. And by the end of the game, Florida state was down to their third pitcher. Um, and, even with their third pitcher, they were able to hold Alabama off. You know, so you need more pitchers. Uh, a lot of people are saying you need more power hitters. I don't know. You look at Florida State; they bat two fifty eight. They scratch out runs. They 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 find ways to make. There was some girl runs. on TV the other night. Well, I guess I was at the gym and I glanced up. I don't don't remember the team she played for, but she had something like thirty one homers and eighty five RBIs. I believe that you may be talking about the uh, player for Alabama who was Maybe. the SEC Player of the Year. Okay. Um, she has something like 80-something home runs in her career. <laughs> Pretty nuts. No, and, I, and, and Oklahoma averaged 11 runs a game correct. in the regular season. 
that's insane. Gosh. Now they've only averaged like three or four in in the in the college world series. So Big Twelve pitching isn't very good. So we know that. Uh, yes. Well, or or Oklahoma's <laughs> really good hitting team. And uh, they're in the uh, women's college world series. So it's Oklahoma, yeah. Florida State. But I'll, I'll I'll leave with this. I mean, I I follow softball very closely. I mean, just the the job that Pete Demore has done in two full years. I mean, yeah. one went away from the women's college world series in the second full. Yeah, year. you know, a lot. It's of, just incredible. It's incredible. A lot of times when a coach takes over, you know, you, you get they get they need a few recruiting classes before they start winning. Well, he won immediately, man. Yeah. and he appears to be. Recruiting better and better each year. You know, he comes from Missouri, which is a great softball school, and I think he started off as the recruiting coordinator. So he loves to recruit. Okay. And so, I mean, like Cameron Fagan, this true freshman we had this year, I mean, the Fagans are like the Currys of softball. (laughs) Like her older sisters are – all all Americans, all SEC players. Like they got Cameron to come to Virginia Tech over going to the SEC where all of her sisters were phenoms. I mean, they're great – I believe someone went on to play professionally – so he's an excellent recruiter, and I think I mean get this pitching coach Doug Gillis has coached he has pitcher of the year winners from four of the five Power Five conferences. Okay, so, so he's got the staff. It automatically turns into a discussion of keeping them, keeping them together, you know, and right. I don't know. That's for Whit Babcock to figure out. Well, I'll say this. I, I, I think as we get ready for the 2021-2022 Virginia Tech Athletics year, there are two teams I'm really excited to watch just right off the bat, right? I mean, I know we could throw men's basketball in there, but I'm talking about like just re- like top five like national relevancy. Wrestling, of course. And at softball, you want to guess how many players come back, Chris? All of them. Every, Every single, single one. one. Not a single senior on the team. So, and you mentioned you bring in that recruiting class. It's it's going to be really exciting to watch that team next year. And, and the ACC is getting more and more competitive. Yeah. Uh, Duke and Clemson snapped their fingers and created programs out of midair. That, and let, yeah. Let's throw out the the, uh, the caveat that we have no idea what's going to happen with the transfer portal, either outgoing or in, incoming. Yeah. You know, uh, I imagine it's hard to like, it can be hard to have a deep pitching staff programs these days because of the transfer well Kerry Eberly transferred out to Oklahoma State and pitched in the college yep, world and series. she was the big 12 pitcher mm-hmm. of the year there and had a good Ugh. year and she right but, so I mean could Virginia Tech still be playing possibly right now if she had not transferred right well and I tell you there is a good young talent on that Mac Osborne Ivy Rosenberry um, you mentioned you know the so anyways good but you know Keeley was uh, and last thing I'll say about the win against UCLA. First of all, they go into the Arizona region, Arizona State Regional in Tempe, right? Yeah, that was and a there lot was just fun. no fear. They hit the ball so well. But I, what I listened to Coach Demore's press conference going into Supers, and he basically, I mean, was really complimentary of Rachel Garcia, who's arguably the best two-way player in the history of college softball. And he was giving her all the respect, but he, he just said that you know, our assistant Mike Lewis throws seventy miles an hour. Doug Gillis, Mike Lewis's two assistants are pro fast pitch players. Gillis a little bit older. Lewis is still a pitcher on the men's national team for the U.S. He throws 70 to 71 miles an hour. So in practice, they are seeing the same speed that they're getting from Rachel Garcia. Still underhand. I mean, the whole nine yards. So I just love that Tech came out with that mentality of, we don't it. care who you are. <laughs> you know, they like you said, well, they punched them right in the mouth. Yeah. So, yeah. anyways. Unfortunately, they woke him up. <laughs> yes. So, all right. For those that are still commenting, I promise we're spending the rest of the show. I just have a couple of schools mentioned. I don't have any specific questions. We're just going to have a 
open conversation about the biggest rivalries for Virginia Tech. We'll step aside for a break. When we come back, we talk about it. Feel free to chime in on the YouTube section. You're watching and listening to episode 108 of the Tech Sideline podcast presented by the Southeast Regional Training Center. Welcome back in episode 180 of the Tech Sideline Podcast. You know, it's great to be back. It's been a couple of weeks since our last show, and we are all so excited for what we're going to spend the bulk of today's podcast on, discussing top five biggest rivalries for Virginia Tech. Evan Hughes back alongside Chris Coleman, Will Stewart, Malcolm Stewart behind the scenes. If you want to chime in your top five, maybe a story about one of those teams, feel free to do those. I'll read it. Um... I just have teams listed. I said, I don't want to prepare any specific questions because I think that this conversation could take us anywhere. And I think kind of the motivation to do this type of podcast was the last one we did. We we somehow got into a tangent on what rivalry means more, Tennessee or West Virginia. Right. And then I later asked on Twitter uh, if you could play either Tennessee in football every year or West Virginia football every year, which one would you pick? And there, I think there wound up being around 1,000 votes. And it was... A fairly narrow victory, I believe. About 55 to 45. 55, 45, West Virginia, right? Yeah. 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 So let's go ahead and talk about it. Here's what I have written down, and I'm going to toss it over to Chris first. The following teams, I think, are in contention to be in in a top five. Obviously, Virginia, Miami, North Carolina, West Virginia, Tennessee, JMU, Pittsburgh, Boston College, and Louisville. So... I actually I want to start off by asking this question. I think everybody's in agreement that Virginia's number one. Very yeah. hard to say no about UVA, right? right? I mean, that is. Te- but here's the question I'm going to ask both of you right now: What win against those teams that I just mentioned do you get the most satisfaction out of beating besides the University of Virginia? Uh, West Virginia, because we never play them. Uh, we've played them once since 2005. Yeah, so I took a lot of satisfaction from from that win in 2017. Uh, I guess next for me would be North Carolina from a recruiting standpoint. Um, beating Virginia has gotten so routine that that's just, you don't really celebrate when you do it anymore. Right. Uh, so, so which one besides Virginia? What do you? Who do you get the most satisfaction out of beating? Besides uh, North, North Carolina has risen to that level. Um, so for me, uh, you know, the the UVA rivalry doesn't have the juice that it used to, and part of it is uh, they they don't. Part of it is they don't compete off the field like they used to in recruits. Exactly. You know, they used to battle for in-state recruits, and and you knew the tide was turning. You know, UVA used to dominate in-state recruiting right around the late 80s, early to mid-90s. And you knew the tide was turning when Tech started to get their fair share of the top recruits in the state. Mm-hmm. So they battled not just on the field, and they weren't in the same conference. So you were also bringing conference pride into that. Who's better, the ACC or the Big East? So there was just a lot that went into that, and it was a really intense rivalry. And so for me, um, and, and I was scared of UVA back then. They were, they were a good they program, were good. and they were stiff competition. And for me, North Carolina now holds that spot. They are they are coming into the state of Virginia, mm. and they are getting recruits from Virginia Tech. Um, they're they're a program that I worry about 
you know, I worry about where this is going. Is is Virginia Tech going to be able to beat UNC? You know, and 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 from a, from a from a school culture and identity standpoint, certainly, you know, you can really dislike UNC if you're a Hokie fan. So, all right, so let's start here with a couple of schools you just mentioned. Let's start with Virginia. The biggest win for Virginia Tech over Virginia. What year would it have been? What game? Well, for people my age, it was the 1995 game. You just you just can't top that. That uh, how much do you know about the 95 game? Jim Druckenmiller engineered one of the greatest comebacks, comebacks I've, I've ever seen. seen. The one line by Bill Roth. Yes. Yeah. Well, it was Jermaine Holmes, right back in the end That's zone. Correct. Right. So you know, and Chris and I have talked about this many times. If if you look at the Tech UVA games from 1995 and 96 through, through 96, 97, 98. There was so much NFL talent yeah. on the field, but in particular, oh, that 95, those 95. 95 and 96 were. ton you, of NFL yeah, talent. Yeah, just NFL guys all over the field for both yeah. teams. And, you know, but, so both teams were really good. UVA had a team that year that was this close to going undefeated. They'd lost a couple of close games, a last-second kick to Texas, and I think a last-second kick to Michigan. I mean, they, they were almost undefeated. They lost that, to North Carolina by like three points or something like well, that. I'll, I'll take your word for it. I don't yeah. remember. I just remember they were really good, and, and Virginia Tech was really good. Well, they had beaten Florida State, and they, that was Florida State at that point, their only ACC loss ever was that yeah, game. Yeah, that's that right. Game that's in right. Charlottesville that year. Um, and, and Tech was playing for uh, uh, for a uh, Sugar Bowl berth that day. Um, well, you know, Not I don't really. Know. The water's really muddy there. Yeah. We, yeah, yeah. We, won't, we won't get into that. But it was just – it was just enormous, and you know, frankly, for most of the game, UVA played better, and and yeah. and they had going into the fourth quarter, I believe it was a twenty-nine to fourteen lead. It looked like Tech was dead in the water, you know, and and then the comeback and and beating them thirty-six twenty-nine, just greatest Tech UVA game. I so, ever so many things had to happen in that game for that comeback to be complete. Rafael Garcia, who was a great kicker for UVA, yeah. He missed a fairly short field goal. And Adel Larson, who had had a horrible season for Tech, at least the first half of the season, was terrible. Kicked like a close to a 50-yarder yeah. and ever, that you never would have thought would have gone in. Drucker Miller threw three interceptions, but then yeah. got it together in the fourth quarter. Um, just a lot of, uh, lot of ups and downs in, in that game. Uh, Tech knocked UVA's starting quarterback out. Their backup actually played better. And yeah, and then they brought Grow back in. Back in, yeah. Yeah, um, it's just just a strange game all the way around. But it was a big one because, first of all, no, this is my opinion. Other people will dispute this. I think in-state talent was better back then than it is now, and a lot of guys stayed in state back then, so those guys knew each other. Yeah, like those players for both teams knew each other. Um, like my buddy who signed with Zach in 1993, he knew Rondé and Tiki Barber from high school. You know, he knew Anthony Poindexter from high school. And these days the schools don't recruit it against each other. The, most of the players don't know each other. Yeah. yeah. Um, and and the me media mm -hmm. makes the mistake every year of asking the question to whoever's up there for the media for both teams. I'm sure you know a lot of guys on the other team. Well, no, they don't. <laughs> they don't. Yeah. They might know a couple of walk-ons, but Tech, that's Tech's it. Tech's roster used to be like two-thirds Virginia. Right, right, right. So UVA was heavy, too. So this is still, I guess, Tech's biggest rival, but it's nowhere close to what it was yeah. back in the 90s. Not, not from a 
from the standpoint of recruiting and the players all knowing each other and wanting to beat each other, but the fan bases are drastically different, especially UVA's. Yeah. UVA's fan UVA's fan base is just, you know, they were pretty passionate about football back then. They could fill up Scott Stadium. They liked football. They were positive, and now it's just, you know, ten years of being bottom of the ACC to a certain extent. Yeah. I mean, it's just killed their enthusiasm for the program. So their fans aren't as enthusiastic and the players don't know on the field don't know each other. So this rivalry is not as as good as it used to be. And in my opinion, like one of the things I think has hurt Virginia Tech's program is not having as good rivalries as they used to have at our, at our right. peak. I think, and about UVA real quick, Clark, first of all, Clark Rowland just brings up a really good point. Clark, I'm going to get to your comment in just a second because that could we could spend a whole podcast on that. But I think for, again, we have Jacob Yates commenting right now. He's a 2018 grad. I'm trying to, for the younger generation, the only Tech UVA football game to me that is memorable besides the UVA win from, what, two years ago? Because they, yeah. Was the only one that I can remember that being some impact that got me excited as a kid was, was it 2011 when UVA was just barely in the top 25? It was for the Coastal Division title. For the yeah. Coastal Division title. And Logan Thomas just went off. <laughs> I think it was like 38-3. I mean, Tech it was 38 nothing. The th- crushed them. And the 2007 game was was the same thing. It was, it was for the Coastal Division title right. at the end of the game. Now, UVA actually, you know, I thought – in 2007, UVA was a very talented team, and I remember going to that game, and, you know, I thought Tech would win, but, you know, I also thought UVA would put up a fight, and uh, and that's what happened. Tech won 33-21. Good game, but, you know, Tech was clearly the better team. The 2011 game, though, it was like, yeah, UVA was ranked. Yeah, it was for the Coastal Division title, but you just look up and down the talent level and the roster of both of those teams, and you knew Virginia Tech was going to smash them. I mean, they were nowhere in the same ballpark, and that's how bad the ACC, I guess you could say, was at the time. All right, let's transition from UVA to West Virginia real quick because Chris, again, just said that the team that he gets the most satisfaction out of beating besides UVA is West Virginia. Will, let me start with you on this. How did the rivalry grow to what it was between Tech and West Virginia? Like, how did it start? Was there a specific game... That just because I mean it, it, I mean to the point where these teams couldn't play each other for ten to fifteen years. Like, how did it get to that point? Was there a game that got us there? That's a really good question. And uh, so, when I was younger, I, I would say in the seventies and, and early to mid eighties, um, it really wasn't that much of a rivalry. Uh, they 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 played each other a lot. Uh, I think where it started to get some juice was you know uh, uh, if I remember correctly. West Virginia played for a national title in uh, 1989, I think. With Major Harris? Yeah. Oh, no, I thought they played, they played for one the year before and then Tech beat them in 89. Yes, so they so in, in 88, I think they played uh, um, Notre Dame for a national title. Major Harris was a great quarterback. Then Tech went into Morgantown and beat them 12-0 the next year on – was on it the string, nothing. No kidding. We, we can look it up. Pretty sure it was whatever. I it, was think... four, it was four field goals, you yeah. know, and and so up until then, I, I I had been. Now there had been some good games, Evan, but but West Virginia seemed to always win, uh-huh. you know. And then Tech won in 1989, and then they went into the Big East together, and and there were conference, there was conference stuff on the line too, and it just seemed to take off from there. Um, the, there there were just 
it, and, it, and it was uh, – it's funny. I know a lot of fans won't agree with me about this, but there was a lot of respect between the two programs that came from the top down. Don Nealon was a, was a classy guy. Frank Beamer was a classy guy. They had a lot of respect for each other. They never talked trash about each other. But they both just put – slobber knocking football teams on the field it was a very physical series hmm. you know and and so but for but for me it started like wow tech can actually compete in 1980 well remember 1993 uh wvu went undefeated that year and tech almost beat them lost to him 14 13 right right and more ryan ryan will ryan Williams missed a 50-yard field goal as, as time was mm-hmm. winding down that would have won it for tech and that would have been west virginia's only loss of the season game? yeah and, so, then, and then in 1994 it was virginia tech's first ever thursday night espn <clears throat> game and they crushed west virginia hammer. so it was just a series of good games games that kind of elevated the rivalry so a series of good games that elevated the rivalry how did it get to the point where <laughs> batteries are being thrown and where their couches being burnt like how did it get to that because le- i it, correct me if i'm uh, wrong the tech uva rivalry has never been quite that intense no. oh, between no. two fan bases no. so how in the world did it get to a point where both athletic directors both teams said hey the, we should take a break it's it's the the acc tech left for the acc it's not only that tech left for the acc it's virginia tech first was not going to get invited to the acc so virginia tech joined a lawsuit with the remaining big east teams suing the acc and and maybe and, even and the, some and the, sort of solidarity pact or something Ch- like that Ch- charles steger at one point, who was Tech's president, you know, when Tech entered into that lawsuit to try to keep the Big East together, he actually came out and said to the media, and this is why people like Wood Babcock try to say as little as possible <laughs> these days, Charles Seeger said, even if we got an, ace, an invitation to the ACC now, we would not accept. <laughs> and then guess what? That. A couple weeks later, we, we, got, we uh, got an invitation to the ACC. We left that lawsuit. We packed our bags, and we left those Big East schools you know, Eddie Murphy... Did, that old Eddie Murphy comedy routine. Too bad we can't stay. Yeah, <laughs> right. So, so if, part of it is is that like we we put on that front of solidarity with the old with the Big E schools, and then they said we're, and then we basically left them hanging. Yeah, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, so they hated it from that standpoint, and so do the Pitt fans. I went to the Tech Pitt game that year, and I had I had beer bottles thrown at my car. I watched a Pitt student come down to the front row before the game, uh, pull his pants down, and uh, pee on the Virginia Tech flag right on the field. Oh, wow! And I, and I as, as police officers laughed, like they literally sat around and laughed. They let it go. So so remember so, remember the announcement. The decision was made in the summer of two thousand three, right? And then Tech had to compete for another and, year. And the, and, the, and the, right, and they and had the to play games. at West Virginia and at Pitt that year, <laughs> oh, right? So and they're they're both an hour apart from each other. So it's like so a lot of the people are kind of the same <laughs> in that part of the country. So I saw a lot of ugliness at Pitt that year. Yeah, but wow. but well, yeah, West Virginia though it's it's that. You know, they, they felt like that's when it got nasty. That's when it got nasty. That's when it got real nasty. And that was a Wednesday night game. Wednesday night? It was a Wednesday yeah, night. Yeah. It, it we played it them two a, years in a row on a Wednesday night. Two, yeah. tw- 20, 2002. 2002 in Lane and 2003. Before there was Maction, I guess there was Wednesday night football between that's right. Tech and West was, Virginia. Yeah. Well, that, and, and in hindsight, that that's how you know that it was the right decision to join the ACC because those Big East games were starting to get Wednesday night. Yeah. Treatment. Uh-huh. All right, so Chris, you put West Virginia ahead of Miami, North Carolina, or Tennessee. Let's take those mm-hmm. three schools: Hurricanes, Tar Heels, Volunteers. 
and Will, you alluded that right now North Carolina is kind of right there for you. Yeah. But I would think, you would you ever take Tennessee over Miami no, or North Carolina? I couldn't couldn't possibly do that because uh, in a rivalry, both fan bases have to care. Yeah. Our fans care about Tennessee. Tennessee fans do not care about Virginia Tech at all. I think that's that's, that's probably it, fair. It, it would be like um, imagine. Uh, Imagine if, like, Richmond said, or, you know, VMI, VMI used to be Tech's main rival just as much as, as UVA. Yep. Somebody because bo- 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 both military schools. I mean, and I think it was like 1980, VMI beat Tech. You know, it was. In a very important game that kept Tech from going to a bowl game, right. if I remember correctly. Right. 1981. Right. That was right. 1981. Right. So, <clears throat> if we sit here and say. If VMI fans said, oh, Virginia Tech's our biggest rival, we, you know, or a rival at all, we would laugh at them. Well, that's what Tennessee fans do when Virginia Tech say, says, I really want to play Tennessee. They're like, why? We already play Alabama and Auburn and, and Florida and Georgia and teams like that. You know, Virginia Tech means nothing to us. Doesn't help them from a recruiting standpoint. Doesn't help them from a national national perspective. Right. Uh, they played the battle at Bristol because it made them money. But they, their fans do not care about Virginia Tech. So, you know, to have a rivalry, you know, you, you know, there, there are three parts of a rivalry. Both fan bases ideally care. Uh, you know, maybe there's some recruiting battles going on. And, and, uh, and maybe, you know, players on both teams know each other. And, like, none of those really apply to Tennessee. None of them. Yeah, the games have to mean something, you know. So, it, it – your your main rival doesn't have to be in your conference, but it adds something to it when they are. So let's expand upon that. So we ha- everyone's kind of in agreement. UVA number one, most important rivalry for Tech in the ACC. Would you say North Carolina? Or would you go Miami? Where would you go? Most in important football, football I, is North Carolina. I would say yeah. I would say the North Carolina rivalry is more important from a recruiting perspective than than the Virginia rivalry yeah. because Tech and Virginia don't recruit against each other anymore. Um. But that's just from pure own field importance and doesn't take into account the emotions of the fan base. The yep. only thing that holds the, the Tech-North Carolina rivalry back is that in North Carolina, football is the secondary sport. Um, when I say, you know, fan bases of both sides have to care, the most passionate rivalry Virginia Tech has is the West Virginia rivalry because their fans are much, much more passionate than UVA football fans. Right and UNC football fans. Right, right and UNC football fans. So and Miami football and Miami fan. football fans. Right, right. Uh, tech. I wouldn't say Tech has a even a, has a complete rivalry these days. And in, 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 as far as both fan bases are passionate, a lot of players on both teams know each other and they recruit each other a lot. Um, North right. Carolina, UNC kind of hit, hits two of those, but their fans don't care enough. I was going to say this for the end, but he teed it up. Let's go to Clark's question. Something to consider. A rivalry goes both ways. A true rivalry is when there is equal disdain. What schools consider Tech to be one of their biggest rivals? Yeah. Prob- Think about that for a second. Definitely West Virginia and, and, U- and UVA. That, that, would be the, that would be the only two. So to me, Virginia Tech only has two true rivals, in my opinion, and it's those two. Uh, the North Carolina game kind of varies depending on who's coaching North Carolina, right? Um, 
They weren't really rivals when John Bunning was, was their head coach. <laughs> were you and Larry Fedora? Or? Uh, I don't know. If the Fedora, Fedora towards I, that the was end, starting yeah. to get some juice. Yeah, it, it definitely did. Yeah. Um, uh, now, it could be that, like, as time goes on, we will view UNC as more and more of a rival rivalry. Like, when Virginia Tech was in the Big East, they never recruited the state of North Carolina. So the schools never went head-to-head unless wow. occasionally – uh, unless occasionally North Carolina tried to recruit a guy from Virginia, but but to Virginia Tech back then never recruited the, the state of North Carolina. Um, so I think it's only been in the last 10 years or so that we've actually recognized that as a rivalry because of that. But the recruiting aspect was totally missing. Yeah, but UNC's that. kind of put an end to that. Tech's barely getting anybody out of the state of North Carolina anymore. Was it a big rivalry when Mac Brown was there in the nineties? No, 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 no. no. Tech, they never played each other except for once. UNC refused and, and, to play Tech, and 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 UNC won forty-two to three in the Gator Bowl, in a game that never should have even taken place, yeah. to be honest with you. And Tech never recruited the state of North Carolina. So, so I want to transition to Miami real quick because I was texting some of my friends who are now Tech alums. We all like to say that we're all Tech alums <laughs> now. And um, somebody said that Miami one of the schools that they just can't stand the most. And Miami's near the top. And, Will, I, I'm curious. I want to get your perspective on this. Again, I'm, I'm 22 years old. I've really followed Tech closely since maybe 08, 09. So I just want to preface that before I ask this question. But is it fair to say the Tech-Miami rivalry was much more important in the early 2000s than it has been the last 15 years? Yeah. It, it, it was in the in the Big East days. It was very big. Once, once Tech beat Miami in 1995 – that rivalry got uh, – those are some great football games from that point on. The 95 game was, was a good one. 96, 97, 98. Man, there was about a seven, six or seven-year stretch there where every game was good. The 2000 game, 2002 game wasn't that great. Miami was really good, and they, we knew they were going to beat Tech. Uh, but it, in the Big East, certainly it was an excellent rivalry. And that carried over into the ACC for the 2004 and 2005 games – it seems to have lost a little something since then. And, and something that I said on the podcast either last time or the time before that was that where I struggle with being a rival with Miami is that they just they just don't show up every year. They've, they're, they're completely random. Um, and and that, actually, that, that shouldn't matter, but I just I have a hard well, time it, getting it, a grip well, on it. Well, t- the only way you can have a rivalry with a team that is so far away geographically – and quite frankly, in their cases, don't have that many fans. Yeah. Um, and you don't really recruit against them, so the players don't know each other. The only way that develops into a rivalry is if all the games mean something, and a lot of them are really, really good games, which is what we were getting sure. in the 1990s. Yeah. And, I mean, each one of those games had bowl implications. Right. Who's going to the BCS Bowl or who's going who's to – Who's going to win the Big East. Right. That's what Who's going to win about. the ACC. Who's going to win the ACC. That's what it's all about. Now the games don't mean anything. Right. So, so the games don't mean anything. I, I don't know one single Miami fan, so from that standpoint – you know, from a fan versus fan perspective, it doesn't mean anything. Uh, from a recruiting perspective, they don't really recruit each other all that much. Uh, you know, the uh, so it's just the schools are so dissimilar. The only thing that keeps that or would keep that a rivalry mm-hmm. is the competition. Like, who's going to win the ACC? Is it going to determine who wins the coastal? Who's going to win all? the coastal? Right, 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 right. And it just it just doesn't do that anymore. No. So to me, it's just. I don't even think about them as a rivalry anymore because the games don't mean near as much. Is the last time Tech Miami really meant something? Because you had two games, right? The uh, the infamous call. I think it was Mike Patrick. These people are losing their minds. Right. 
there uh, was that the same game that Logan Thomas fourth uh, fourth yes. down up the middle. Yes, it is. So was that the last real significant Tech Miami game when there was something that would have been what twenty eleven. <clears throat> 2009 one was a big one, too. That was in the pouring rain, if I remember yeah. correctly, right? Um, 2013 was I think so. 2015. I don't, I don't remember Miami being particularly competitive in 2016 when Tech was trying to win a coastal championship. Yeah, I don't remember what their record was. So it was sounds like year. of the ACC, the one of the past is Miami. Yeah. The one that's going to be more important over the next 10 years is North Carolina. North Carolina. UVA will always be there. And then here we go. To kind of wrap things up, I'm going to throw a bunch of different schools at you, and you got to pick one of this that you really enjoy beating one of these teams, okay? someone Robert commented he thinks that Georgia Tech should be included on this list. So there was a stretch where Georgia Tech should be on this. I'll throw them in there. Georgia Tech, Louisville, Boston College, Pittsburgh, or James Madison? Start with you, Chris. Of those five, right, give me one. Right, so, James the, Madison, Pittsburgh, Boston College, Louisville, or Georgia Tech? Gotta, give me one I of those gotta five. I've got to pick one of those to beat. The, the one, of those five, which one would you consider most a rivalry? <laughs> None of them. <laughs> I mean, I, I, See, I think it might be debatable. Actually, I, We don't play Louisville enough. To, to be a rivalry, yeah, but but, I, I, but but all right. If all five of those teams were on the schedule this coming year, the 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 one I would circle is Louisville because it's Louisville, and I I, I think there. See, be, that's funny. I just didn't get that excited about beating them last year. Maybe it's because well, I would have if there had been fans in the stadium and things like that. Yeah, and yeah. everybody was ever at that point. Everybody, you're five weeks into the season. You spent the whole season worried about whether there was going to be a season. You don't got you got no emotions left at that point. You know. Um, that's kind of fair. I don't see the thing is I don't I don't consider George Tech a rival, but they were for, from a co- competitive standpoint for a few years because it meant the Coastal Division. Whoever title. won that game, it was, was like, the it's coastal. like Miami. Right. But but the bottom line is Paul Johnson's not there anymore. They're not a good program, and their fans don't care about football all that mm-hmm. much. I mean, it goes back to fans. Fans make a rivalry, mm. and, and in a lot of ways, sure. and and and. And that's what that's what Virginia Tech is struggling with. You know, the, the, I talked about those UVA games of the '90s. Scott Stadium was packed. Yeah, and and now the upper decks empty most of the time. So I think of those five. I I think Pittsburgh's the one that where fans do care. I think Narduzzi has added an extra element, and Tech has struggled historically winning at Heinz Field. So I think of those five, to me, that's the one that, I mean, the player stomping on the O and the Hokies a couple of years. I I feel like that rivalry since 2016, was that the game where Narduzzi got the unsportsmanlike? (laughs) I think that that has elevated, I'm not saying it to new heights, but just like Pittsburgh's a team that you'd like to beat. Yeah, uh, they are, but at the same time, I go back to the whole fan thing, and how many people do you see in Heinz Field, even in years where there aren't COVID, like 20,000, 30,000 for a game? I, I had a uh, Pittsburgh fan tell me one time that, yeah, we're great internet fans. You know, we, we tend to not really go to the games as much. Yeah, but, yeah, yeah. But so, we're into it on the way. Right, right. So, I just, and again, I don't know a single Pitt fan. Yeah. How, I mean, how can you really feel a rivalry unless you know fans from the other side? And by the way, Christopher Times, Jimes, and none of them, Jacob <laughs> Yates says, by the way, but the biggest rivalry based off the last five seasons, in his opinion, is Pittsburgh. I'm, I I don't know if it's a and, – and we were talking about this before, me and Malcolm. It's it's interesting to compare the different generations of Tech yeah. fans, right? Because for me and Malcolm, I understand that the Black Diamond Trophy is a huge deal. I get the history. I don't 
But you've the, watched Virginia Tech play one game against West one game. Virginia it was at a neutral site field, yeah. and like I, I, it was a much bigger deal that Nash Greer or uh, Nash Greer, who's a big what Vine is that what he did right? His brother was the quarterback of West Virginia. I mean, I knew it was a big <laughs> deal for that. But I tell you what, I think the younger generation, I think Pittsburgh, like for the last four years, think about if you were in school, Pittsburgh's kind of been. It's been the last four years have been interesting. And I'll throw this school out there. Like going back to Clark's point of a school that considers us a rival and really wants to beat us, I'm gonna throw James Madison in there. Though I think the fan base of James Madison, since the twenty ten game of the national championships, they are dying to play Virginia Tech in football. <laughs> sure. I tell you what, if that game came on the schedule, there are some people who would look at that as one of the most I mean, both sides. I really think and I know there's not uh, enough Dukes. But I, from the perspective <laughs> of for us growing up and JMU, be, I know. Oh, I know it, it would be exciting for them. For our for Malcolm and I's age range, I'm telling you, they're a bunch of kids. They were they would love nothing more to play JMU. To me, for the it's, twenty well, to twenty five. To me, it's a game where I'd be like, nothing good can come out of this game. If we win it, we're supposed to. If we don't, then it's embarrassing. So to me, it would just be like one of those. Please get this over with and don't lose. Well, you'll, you'll get your chance in 2025. It looks yep. like that's when they play again. And again, not me personally. I'm just, I, I just, I know a lot of JMU fans. I know a lot of Tech fans. And, um, you know, I think the, you know, the 2010 game kind of started that. And then, you know, a lot of the national championships. But you're right. There's no real, there's only a benefit, I think, from the JMU side yeah, to yeah, play yeah, Tech, yeah. you know? Right, so, right. by the way, Robert chimes in. Yep. Of those five, Pittsburgh goes back to the 90s also when the Larry Fitzgerald teams beat us. Throw in the beatdowns we've suffered for them. Oh, brutal beatdowns twice in recent years. Yeah. So, anyways. All right, so let's wrap it up with this. So, I was even thinking top five. Give me your – We've I think we've discussed what the term rivalry means. So, Will, <laughs> who are Virginia Tech's rivals after all of this? So, we're talking football. Football. So, so number um, – let me let me throw the teams out and then I will I will I will put them in order. Uh, Virginia, Miami, UNC, Boston College, Pitt. I feel like I'm leaving someone out. West Virginia. West Virginia. No, oh, you can't uh, leave them out. So for me, <laughs> num- number five is is uh, BC because I just I hate losing to them. Uh, not because I feel any particular passion about it. I just if if, if that's a team I just don't want to lose to. Number four is uh, Pittsburgh. Three is uh, Miami. Two is UNC. And number one is UVA. Now, I will say this. If you want to throw basketball in the mix, I really want to beat Duke and Louisville in basketball. Mm. It's funny. Carolina, meh, whatever. But the the Duke game and the UVA game, UVA and basketball, I get excited about that one. But this, this thing of – Louisville beating Tech 17 times in a row or whatever it is in basketball. It, it's always fun beating Duke and UVA. Stupid COVID. We were going to win that game this year at home. I uh, know it. <laughs> Chris, give me, uh, you know, uh, three through one, whatever you want to do. I started, I started thinking about this last night. I, I can't think of more than three teams that I would actually consider a rival. Yeah. Not necessarily from a Virginia Tech standpoint, but we're, we're like both fan bases feel like this is a rivalry. Um, but our – I'll start out at number one, and I guess by default it's Virginia. Although, like, I don't think it has the rapidness between the fan bases that it once did because UVA, you know, you know, UVA's program went down the toilet for 10 years. Virginia Tech has declined. I just don't think there's that passion there between both fan bases that once existed. The players on the field don't know each other anymore. 
I would put it number one by default just because they're an in-state school. To me, like all right, West Virginia is my number two, and that's all based on emotion, which is what rivalry should be about. So maybe I should have it number one. I know that when a schedule came out this year, that's what, that's the first place I looked when are we playing West Virginia, hmm. right? And who do we play before and after West Virginia and all that. Don't recruit against them very much, but – their fans are the most like Virginia Tech fans of any any other on this list. And I know yes. some Tech fans don't want to hear that. But tell me that tailgate in FedEx wasn't awesome before the game. It was Last hard to time. get into if I remember correctly, uh, right? Uh, oh, yeah. But, and the tailgate itself was great. All the West, the West Virginia fans that stay in Morgantown and don't go to road games and don't go to places like FedEx, yeah, yeah I, I agree. Some interactions with them can be rough. But the ones that travel to games and things like that, I thought the ones at FedEx were great. And I thought – and I think I wish we played that more often. So they're number two. Maybe they should be number one just because the passion of, of, the, of the two fan bases. The, two, the fan bases are most similar. Um, I had number three is UNC from, from a recruiting standpoint. And uh, those are my top three because I know UVA fans. I know some UVA fans. My best friend from high school went to UVA. You know, I, I know West Virginia fans. I personally know UNC fans, things like that, you know? And, but after that, like, I don't know any Pitt fans. So, like, if I personally am not acquainted with one single Pitt fan, mm-hmm. how can I consider, how can I really get, how can I put them on the same level as those others, right? Uh, I guess, I guess I would put Pitt number four because of the play on the field over the last you know, 15 years or something like that. Uh, 20 years. Yeah, not being able to win in Heinz Field. Because it goes back to 2001 when Pitt yeah. beat Tech 38-7. Right. And, uh, well, even 2000 when they came to Lane and knocked out Vic, and that was a great game. And yeah. my, my, you know, So, yeah, for about 20 years now, the, the games themselves have, have been entertaining for the most part. Or, or there's been a storyline there. Right. So, the, they would be my, my number four. Uh I wish we played NC State more often mm-hmm. because that's a you know that that's a big state school that shares a border that could potentially slot into that fifth spot or even move up the list, but but we don't play them enough. I don't remember the last time we did. Mm. Oh yeah, we played them last year, duh. But we weren't supposed to, right? I don't remember. But yeah, hey, that got added late. Yeah, yeah. Um, I think I guess by default, I I would maybe put Miami fifth. But that's like just 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 based on tradition. But I, I'm, but, the, but that's a rapidly slipping. You know, they could be sixth on my list a couple years from now, maybe. But you don't consider that a rivalry. So what I, my point is, though, I find it very interesting. You think in terms of pure rivalries, it's Virginia, West Virginia, and what was the third one? Carolina. Uh, Carolina, yeah. which I find very because I think we've discussed what a rivalry is. There's a difference between wanting to beat uh, a school, right, and have and then. Uh, both fan bases caring, right. recruiting on the line, like, and know. I and, and things aren't like they used to be because of all the things that make a rival. UVA Tech used to be number one because both fan bases were passionate. They recruited against each other, and all the players on each team knew each other. And none of those apply anymore. Yeah. So, and in West Virginia, you know, a lot of the, some of the players would know each other, but the fan bases were really, really passionate. Um. But we haven't played each other in so long. So, to me, rivalries are what makes college football fun. And the fact that the UVA Tech rivalry, you know, the things that make a rivalry fun 
don't even apply to that rivalry anymore means the rivalry is not as good. And then we don't play West Virginia anymore. So that gets taken from you. So I think the lack of rivalries has taken a lot of the fun out of Tech football. Oh, yeah, it, it really hasn't. Uh, which is why I'm 100% in favor of playing West Virginia again. And this year's uh, in Morgantown? Yes. Yes. Um, so, you know, you, know you, you, you take the rivalries away. You, you, even if you throw out – what, however you feel about wins and losses and recruiting or whatever you might not be happy with about the program. You take away the the emotions of the rivalries and you take away things like stick it in and, and whatever else the band isn't allowed to play. I don't know. It's, and it's just, even if we were still winning 10 games, it still wouldn't be as fun as it used to because, because of the lack of those things. So uh, a school that is not getting mentioned here is Liberty. Did you? What did you just God. do? I'm actually surprised that uh, nobody's brought up Liberty. Somebody on. actually, um, uh, Jacob, of that five in modern years. Oh, LU might be uh, Louisville. He's at LU. Mm. So, yeah, so, Liberty. so Liberty. Um, it's it's a short list. What sports did Tech actually beat Liberty at this year? They lost in baseball, softball, and football. And football. We should have remember when we knocked them out of the NCAA tournament a couple years ago. Right, Buzz we, Williams knew how to beat Liberty. I, I, Apparently, nobody I, else around here does. I, I think we probably uh, women's basketball beat them this year. Okay, okay good. So um, Kenny Brooks knows how to beat. And uh, one of their top players just transferred into Virginia Tech. So um, I'm just well, anyways, saying, man, this was fun. This was fun. And again, <laughs> folks with. You know, uh, the summer podcast, we kind of get to be creative. So if you have a podcast idea, go on the message boards, tag us. You know, Christopher just chimed in. We should do a podcast on best fans of teams Tech has played. That's a good one. And That's he was one. mentioning, you know, quickly, we don't have to get into it, but LSU, A&M, Nebraska. I think that'd be a fun one. Um, so anyways, keep those, uh, whatever you want us to talk about, we, we've got the time right now to be doing those kind of podcasts. So um, that'll kind of wrap things up for episode 180 of the Tech Sideline podcast. But if you go to techsideline.com, we've got some great articles right now. Uh, Brandon Patterson, article on the 2021 recruiting scouting reports on running backs. Uh, Chris, go read the Friday Q&A about the Jumpstart program. Uh, we've got a Virginia Tech basketball recruiting update. Did you and, catch uh, that there was a Jeopardy question about Virginia Tech last night? Was there? Yeah. Read it. Uh, Do you have it? A therapy dog named Moose got an honorary doctorate in veterinary medicine from this school based in Blacksburg. Wow. Yeah. Look yeah. at that. My joking response was, what is Virginia Tech University? <laughs> <laughs> I like it. Well, that'll wrap things up. Chris, what, um, you know, techsideline.com, anything coming up here in the next couple of weeks of note? Uh, we've started our scouting report, and it's Brandon Patterson and I combining on that. Uh, I'm doing my best to recap some of the visits that are taking place and who's visiting, um, not only for football but basketball as well. So that that's pro- that's what I'll be working on today. Um, I don't I don't I don't know if I'll even ha- you know I'll, I'll I don't know if I'll be able to finish something quality today. But that's how my afternoon's going to going to be spent is accumulating a list of football players who have visited over the last week. And where tech stands. Well, anything coming up for you? Or just uh, get back in after I'm vacation? Still digging from out from week. underneath. Yeah. Great. Well, great show. This was fun. We look forward to the next one. Just kind of these fun discussions. Again, if you have one, go onto the message boards, tag us in it, and uh, we'll look at that for the uh, for the next show. Any closing thoughts, gentlemen, before we wrap up? Nope. Enjoyed it. Awesome. Great show. All right. That'll do it for us. Episode 180 of the Tech Sideline Podcast. A reminder, go to techsideline.com to read all of our great work. Follow us on social media at Tech Sideline on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And if you're watching on YouTube, let's look. We have 19 likes right now. If you're watching, please quickly just go give it a thumbs up. 
comment, like, and subscribe, especially if you're watching Archived. It greatly helps us. For our managing editor, Chris Coleman, our founder and general manager, Will Stewart, the best podcast producer in the land behind the scenes, Malcolm Stewart. I'm your podcast host, Evan Hughes, saying so long. Thanks so much for watching and listening to episode 180 of the Tech Sideline Podcast, proudly presented by the Southeast Regional Training Center. Have a great week, Hokies. Thank <laughs> you.